A very good morning to you, and let's say good morning to our guests. Uh, they are uh, Andrew Ferris, CEO of Ecognosis Advisory. Uh, good morning, Andrew. Good morning to you. And also uh, good morning to uh, Kerry Craig, Global Market Strategist at JP Morgan Asset Management. Uh, good morning, Kerry. Good morning, good morning. I hope you're well. Uh, nice to have you both on the show uh, on this Friday morning. Um, what's been happening this week? Kerry, what are the things do you think this week that have, have, have made the news in your book? Are there stuff that stands out? Well, uh, this week in Australia was all about the, the RBA, given that we experienced their uh, new format of having a statement, a press conference, and also their uh, forecast and the statement of monetary policy all released at the same time. Um, and obviously the market has to adjust to getting that uh, new deluge of information all at once and being able to ask the governor questions. But I think the messaging was pretty much the same as we've heard from all the other central banks recently. You know, rate hikes are finished. Um, they're looking to start on the rate cuts, but they want a bit more certainty that inflation is definitely coming down. And again, you heard the similar thing from the new speakers in the Federal Reserve this week and the market kind of adjusting their outlook. Uh, for thinking about when those rate cuts may start. So that monetary policy is still very much dominating the outlook in Australia uh, and then the international factors around China, the Middle East, uh, and also the early season, and a bit more of the bottom-up micro having an impact on the markets as well. Andrew, do you think that uh, things are a bit more buoyant this week or is China still dragging everything down? Well, in a sense, actually, it's very nice to know that there is no such thing as the global economies moving together. They're completely all over the place. China has got a major problem with deflation. Okay, uh, Japan still doesn't have enough inflation, and uh, European Union and the United States have, in inverted commas, too much inflation. <laughs> it's your choice. If somebody in Mars asks me, what is inflation doing like in this world, I will have to tell him, I have no idea. Ask me a country and I'll tell you and give you an answer. The other part, of course, is uh, more intervention in uh, the stock market in China, which is, uh, it is interesting. Uh, it is repeated. There is uh, absolutely nothing new on that. This has happened before. But it will be nice if we have a list of issues that says, okay, these are the three or four things that have caused the markets to tank over five years, and these are the ways we are going to address them. Uh, because here we are looking at symptoms. In other words, the things that are going making prices to come down, it's a symptom. There is something that makes them come down. Okay, so uh, don't treat symptoms, please. Treat the causes. And uh, I'm, uh, I'm with bated breath waiting <laughs> to see a list of the causes. That Wouldn't it be nice if we had those answers, Andrew? It would be nice, but uh, on the other hand, we cannot tell China what to do and what not to do. Okay, they have both their political system and their economic system, but uh, sometimes when you are dealing with markets and there are very common things in those, it would be nice, in fact, if we have a systematic approach to that. I'll just give you a very simple example. The obsession with short selling keeps forgetting all the time that for me to sell ahead uh, stocks because I think the price is going to go down means that there is somebody who is willing to buy them. So, in other words, that somebody is as guilty as I am <laughs> in causing the markets to fall. So, in other words, there are basic things like that that need understanding and addressing. Now, China's consumer prices saw their steepest drop in 14 years in uh, January, as we heard a little earlier on. And the new head of China's uh, CSRC is being described as a fierce regulator. Uh, he's coming in. Um, Kerry, what do you think? Is, is that going to make a difference in China? 
Well, I think the, uh, the strategy at the moment from the Chinese officials is all about um, stabilising the fall, to be fair, um, looking at sort of providing certainty to the market, that the, the market, well, sorry, to investors, that the market will uh, no longer continue to fall, uh, and particularly importantly in doing that ahead of the, the Lunar New Year. Um, for us, I think looking at the market, the down shift we've seen and then the, the short-term rebound, it is still about restoring confidence, not just from interventions by national buyers in the Chinese equity market, but confidence that the economy is back on track. Um, and that's going to take a little bit longer if we assess the, the need for house prices to go up, the deleveraging that's going to continue to come through, and potentially more policies targeted uh, at the consumer and locking up, unlocking those savings that have come through, which would stimulate more demand in the economy. Uh, so, Andrew Wu Ching coming in, uh, nicknamed the broker butcher after his earlier regulatory uh, stint. Is it a case of uh, new brush for the new year and uh, new things happening, do you think? Well, that, that depends uh, how they decide to address it. And as I say, uh, uh, even, in, uh, even if I was to look at nuclear physics and even quantum physics, you know, there is cause and effect. Okay, so forget the effect, let's look at the causes. And if this is addressed uh, nicely, then uh, there will be a lot of things to be happy about. But if we simply took look at the symptoms and not the causes of what's causing the symptoms, then again, we are, we are flying a little bit, uh, a little bit uh, blind. In Hong Kong, we're, we're still hanging on the, uh, the shirt tails of China or the US or none of them or both. Where are we in Hong Kong, would you say, at the moment, uh, Andrew? Uh, we are sitting comfortably or uncomfortably in the lap of Mr. Powell because, uh, remember, we blame China for a lot of things, but we cannot blame Hong Kong's monetary policy on China for a change. If we have to blame anybody, we are following the United States. So we are sitting there waiting for American interest rates to come down. And my forecast is they ain't no coming down till uh, perhaps uh, middle of summer. So in other words, we still have a very uncomfortable weight. We're still hanging on with a substantial uh, high interest rate. Of course, they're not going to increase interest rates, but I don't think they will start cutting until perhaps June. Kerry, what are... I've got a lot of reasons for that. Okay, so mm-hmm. uh, Kerry, what are your expectations for interest rates? Are you seeing uh, that Jay Powell is going to have some movement in, say, the, the second quarter? I think there will be um, chance that they do move rates uh, in June or the middle of the year. I think it's more of a third quarter view for us. Um, there are some concerns around the good prices starting to, to go up after there's been a, a big downward pressure on inflation for the last year. And there will be you know, a small knock-on effect of what we're seeing in terms of uh, shipping costs in the Red Sea. They may mean that the inflation numbers don't come in quite as low as perhaps the Fed wants. And I think the number of Fed speakers we heard this week sort of wanting to see a couple of months of weaker and softer inflation and potentially softer labour market data as well is more likely to see that, that rate cut pushed out into June and, and, and into the second half of the year. Those Red Sea troubles certainly seem to be hammering things, don't they? Uh, Mask, the uh, Danish shipping line, uh, saw its stocks down 17%. Um, is that going to dog trade and shipping for, for some time to come, do you think, uh, Kerry? No, I think this is, um, uh, you know, we, we kind of compare it back to what happened during the, the pandemic and the disruptions to shipping that happened there. Now, this is, it's not quite the same unless you get a massive broadening out of the conflict in the Middle East. Um, we're talking about disruptions of adding, you know, days to the, the length of time it takes for ships to go around the horn. We're not talking about disruptions that have lasted months as it was during COVID. 
Uh, and there's a lot more capacity in the shipping industry than there was in the past. And if anything, if you're investing uh, or an owner of ships, you know, you're paying uh, or leasing the ships, and it doesn't matter if they're sailing in one direction or they're sitting in a port, um, investors still have income on those leases. So uh, I, I think the, the ramifications of this probably won't be as long-lasting as, as many people expect. Andrew, I know you keep a, a, an eye on defence stocks, but how about shipping? Is that something that is of interest? Do you follow that at all? Yes, uh, of course, because it is, it is a very significant input in the cost of certain commodities. And, of course, uh, it is not... Uh, remember, if the, if the cost of shipping goes up, there is a specific reason for that. <laughs> Either there is a supply or there is demand. So we need to look at, at the causes of that. And if, in fact, there is withdrawal of shipping, not because of economic reasons, but because of purely, let's call them structural reasons, otherwise they're being bombed on the way to whatever they're doing, then shipping costs will increase, and these are primarily, for the time being, the cost of, uh, of oil and, uh, and, and energy. And that's not a good idea at the time that the markets are still very jumpy. They are relieved that the war between Israel and Hamas did not create quite a major sort of 1970s kind of oil crisis because the rest of the Arab nations did nothing to restrict supply of oil in order to force Israel or the United States to do anything. They did absolutely, actually, they did absolutely nothing. So that is the good news. But the last thing we want is prices of energy to go up because of an let's call it unrelated issue of disruption supply. And remember, the attacks on those boats is not the same thing as the attacks on the Somali pirates because these are the poor guys simply wanted to steal. Mm. Uh, these ones actually want to disrupt. They are not interested in money. They are interested in disruption. Kerry, we saw the price of oil actually go up um, overnight, 3.2% Brent crude uh, price. Uh, from you know Australian point of view, you keeping an eye on the on the oil prices. Uh, what are you thinking there? Yeah, we actually are. Um, it's very correct to think about the, the shocks from inflation from a high oil price and even the risk premium that may be being added into it. Uh, our view is that the, you know, supply and demand is a little bit more balanced. We're thinking about economic growth around the world that is um, sort of subpar, and it does mean that demand should be weaker. And we've also seen supply increase in other places, such as production in the US, which has helped on that side. So we do think the oil price is going to sit in this $80, $85 uh, range, uh, and we, but we don't expect to see it um, materially rise outside of that um, if the conflict um, does get much, much worse, and we see uh, a lot more disruption to the supply and shipping chains of oil uh, outside of um, the Middle East. Andrew, um, turning to tech for a second, uh, uh, Arm Holdings uh, seeing its stock rise 48% on the back of uh, um, indications for AI going forward. I'm sure you're a big fan of uh, AI. Uh, what's, what's the future for, for these kind of chip companies? Are you seeing strong growth? Well, I, 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 I'm sorry, I, I have to, to, to say that uh, tech prices have been uh, virtually all over the place. It has, not, it has not been an easy trip in the last, in the last three months. And the AI, in my reading, is, has disillusioned massively the applications of it, which is not surprising because, of course, it started on a colossal hype and there was no other way of going, by, of going down. So I am not bullish at all with tech going forward also for a very good reason. If Trump wins the election, okay, God help the tax, because the first thing he's going to do is going to impose quite a significant uh, input duties on anything that comes into the United States. And that, of course, is going to be telephones being made 
elsewhere than in the United States. And uh, Apple is going to be possibly the first one online. So I'm holding my breath, and I'm not saying anything about tech companies till the election is out. If the election, if Trump wins, then it is, it is significantly bearish for the tech companies, significantly bearish. And that is, of course, uh, very near the time that I think interest rates will be cut. As I said, I would be expecting the Powell to begin to do something on interest rates around mid-June. And, of course, he will be accused automatically of helping Biden. Uh, Trump has already said that he's going to get rid of Powell because he's too political. There are too many things that have disappeared, and I don't want them to suddenly appear four months before the elections. Okay, and I'm already telling my clients, I've already made my list of bull and uh, bear uh, buys and sells overall. Okay, uh, if uh, if Trump wins. Mm. Well, Andrew Ferris, the CEO, CEO of uh, Ecognosis Advisory, we'd love to see what that list is at some point uh, in the future. Andrew, thank you also to Kerry Craig, a global market strategist at JP Morgan Asset Management. Mm-hmm.